figuring out the fundamentals of how to actually train and how your body works is not all that complicated. Learning what running easy actually was instead of chasing this mythical dream goal that I had no business going after, that's actually when I started getting better. That was Rick Canning, and this is episode 60 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Rick Canning grew up in Nova Scotia as a competitive paddler before discovering road running, trail running, and eventually ultra running, where he now loves testing his limits the most. Although a bridge engineer by day, Rick dedicates much of his time to his coaching business, New Leaf Running Company, where he helps beginner and experienced runners embrace the fundamentals of training he wishes he'd known about before struggling through his first 10K, half marathon, and marathon. We nerded out on various training philosophies and coaching tips, including the importance of being consistent, slowing down, and why the long run just might not be the most important run of the week. You'll also hear Rick explain why he believes being curious is a key ingredient for success in this sport. And finally, we touch on his recent DNF at the Bromont 100 miler, why he has no regrets about attempting such a lofty goal on less than ideal training and how it's made him a more empathetic coach. We cover a lot of ground in this episode, but at the same time, we barely scratch the surface of all the interesting topics we could have explored. In a future episode, we'll have to dig into all the reasons why we've dubbed him the Canadian Rich Roll. But until then, please enjoy this jam-packed conversation with Rick Canning. Well, Rick, it is our absolute pleasure to welcome you to Inspired Souls. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Well, thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So as we mentioned in the intro, you wear a lot of different hats in your life and Many of the hats you wear are very similar to some of the hats that we wear. So run coach, business owner, podcast host. One of the big differences, though, I will say, is that you are a bridge engineer. And to my knowledge, neither Kim or I can claim that title. <laughs> and it would, Not even close. Not even close. And it would be sort of wonderful to go down a whole rabbit hole about the bridge engineer exploration with you tonight. But I don't think we're going to have time for that because there's just so much other stuff stuff to uh, other other rabbit holes that we could go down. So we'll start with, um, you know, really talking about your running, but let's first start to get to know you a little bit. So um, introduce us to your audience. Who is Rick Canning? All right. So yes, I'm 36 years old. I live in a small town called Mount Uniac, Nova Scotia. You don't really have to go that far outside of Halifax to get to small town. So I'm about 50 minutes outside of the, the city here, but it's pretty small here. We have a corner store and just kind of live down a little dirt road. But luckily, that means I've got trails and trails to run out, out my doorstep and just vast wilderness to go explore at my own choosing. So it's really great. Um, I've got my wife, Amanda, who's very supportive. And I have my little dog, uh, Luna. Well, she's not so little. She's like a medium-sized whippet. And she likes to come running and do all kinds of adventures with me. She's definitely my best uh, adventure buddy. 
So that's probably the highlights. I'm big into foraging. Like I really like just going out in the woods and collecting mushrooms, both to eat and medicinal mm, mushrooms. So that's, that's cool. kind of a hobby of mine when I'm not running. <laughs> that's interesting. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about how you got into running? And um, I do know that you do some ultra running as well. So tell us a little bit about the evolution of your running story. For sure. It's probably a little bit of a, a long story, but I uh, go back to my roots. I was a competitive paddler pretty much since the time I could walk, like probably pretty much around elementary school. I was um, learning how to be a competitive athlete and we grew up uh, cross training. So I was always doing lots of running with that. Um, I never really liked running all that much while I was training. It was always just this thing that I did to get fit, to to be the best paddler that I could be. So I did that from pretty much when I was five up until about 18, 19 years old, till I went off to university. And I trained at a very high level, like elite level, competing Canadian national championships and, and all that stuff. So we trained hard, like two or three times a day. We were doing training camps, taking out of school for a couple of months at a time, going to Florida. Like it was a full meal deal. So it was a lot, lot of fun. But that's where I really kind of started running. And they used to, when we were training, the 10K would probably be like the max of what we were doing over the winter. But they used to kind of like run us through the gauntlet. Like at least once a winter, they'd make us go do a, a half marathon without really training for it. Like wow. they just, we just kind of go out and do it. And then we'd always have to like barely crawl our way up the stairs at school or maybe very sheepishly go in and ask for the elevator key. <laughs> so that was kind of my exposure to, to running when I was, when I was younger. Um, then, like I said, I went off to the university to become a bridge engineer and that athlete side of me kind of got left in the dust and we kind of went to go do academics and sort of while going to university, I'd say the healthy lifestyle choices weren't really there, eating fast food all the time, drinking more beer, kind of partying and really not having anything time for anything else other than just studying really they had us there doing assignments till like one and two in the morning always cramming to do exams and things like that and that's just kind of the way that life went for the next five years I tried every now and again while I was there just to kind of be more active and I'd go out for like a run just to try and do something that I thought was healthy but it always kind of sucked and I never really did all that much of it we played a little bit of squash just to try and stay active and blow some steam off. But anyways, so, you know, you're, I'll just interrupt you for a second. Your story isn't unique. Like a lot of sports just use running as a way to condition. It's like yeah. that easy thing, that, not to say the coaches don't have intention, but just go run, like just go run for a warm up, or just go run for, for your conditioning. Or punishment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or punishment, but you don't need any extra equipment or extra space. It can be done dry land just about anywhere. Right. So. I, I do think that athletes like hockey players or, you know, paddlers or volleyball players or whatever, who their coaches may not always frame running <laughs> as as a as a important part of the training. It's that add-on or it's that thing you just have to do. It's it's interesting that some people don't continue to do it and others do. So you did. So tell us the next part of your story. How did you move into being more of a runner than a paddler? For sure, for sure. And it's I also think the part of my story that's also kind of relatable, just to kind of go back on that, I think 
there might have been a lot of younger athletes out there too that kind of stop cold turkey when that post-secondary education Mm -hmm. comes up and then you pack on a lot of weight and you're kind of ashamed at how out of shape you get and how you feel and all that stuff so I've had all of those feelings and I've had to deal Mm. with all of that so when I started actually doing engineering things and working outside of university um, again in the beginning it was just kind of dabbling just trying to be active and running two or three times a week, going out and running 4K. I'd go out and run it as hard as I could because that's how I was brought up training. You just go out and run and you got to feel like you're working hard. And it sucked. So I would do it for a little bit and then I wouldn't do it for a while. And I kind of yo-yoed with that for many years, actually, and kind of never really got better at it. And it was always just this kind of thing that I did when I wanted to feel like I was being a little healthy or being a little active, but it never really quite took. But then I don't really know how it all started to change, but a couple of my coworkers were getting ready to do a local 10K for the Blue Nose, and they kind of egged me to do it. And I was up to maybe running four or 5K, and I had about three or four weeks to get ready for this thing. So I probably really had no business doing it, but I said I would do it. <laughs> so I just kind of went out, same old bullheaded way that I had been running. Um, said, I want to run it under an hour because that's what I used to be able to do, and that's kind of a good time to run a 10K in it. So I went and ran every run leading up to that at the six minute per kilometer pace. So I'm going to, if I can do this, I'm going to be able to run it. Like I couldn't barely do a seven kilometer run leading up to the race and every run was terrible, but I went and I did it and bullheadedly started running that six minute kilometer pace to get in under the hour, blew up around seven or eight K and had to crawl my way into the finish line. I finished. But I kind of, again, think it's common the way runners treat these things. You finish, and you're like, well, I didn't meet my goal. I didn't run under an hour. That wasn't very good. So I had some kind of mixed feelings about, about that. But then something happened. My wife egged me on. She's like, well, you did that. Do you ever think about trying a half marathon? Like, I think she kind of saw a little glimmer of my competitive athlete self start to come back out. And she was she a runner at that point? No, she wasn't. A couple of years back, we, we ran the 10K together. But no, she wasn't really a serious runner, runner either. Kind of very similar lifestyle choices to me. Yeah, so she kind of egged me in to do that. I thought she was crazy. I was like, no, I'm no way I'm doing that. Like I used to have to do that as like punishment when I was little and it it was always terrible and I could never walk for like two weeks afterwards. (laughs) But she finally won me over and so I decided to do it. Same story though. I'm going to run this under two hours because that's a good time. I'm going to go and run every run that hard and that's what I did. I was always hitting a wall at about the 15K mark, though, when I was training. And the same thing happened with the race. I didn't learn from that training that I was running too fast or anything like that. No, I'm just going to go out and try. But I finished it. I don't quite remember if I came in under two hours or not for that. No, I don't. I think I was like just a little over two hours or something. You wanted to run a faster pace for your half marathon than you did for your 10K. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Isn't that the way it goes though? Like we forget there's that 1.1 and we just think, oh, yeah. it's twice as far, yep. six minute pace, you yeah. know, that's doable. <laughs> that extra one kilometer after you've already ran for 20K. Oh yeah. A bit yeah. 
and and you know what and that that didn't even like in my brain at that time that didn't even register it's like what do people run for a half marathon well lots of people right. talk about two hours yeah so two hours must be what i should do like i was an athlete i should be able to run two hours <laughs> right and that's just kind of right. how it went you know training for that half marathon it actually forced me to be a little bit more consistent with my training and that's where i actually started to get better and things actually started to not feel so terrible and i actually started to kind of like it even though it was still kind of terrible to run far but i started seeing the progress and i started getting excited about feeling like i was getting in shape then that competitive drive came back it's like i'm not just going to have to do something i'm already halfway there i'm going to go do a marathon <laughs> and i was i was running with my brother at this time too. I didn't tell him really that I was doing this, but we were running together on the weekends. And as it was getting closer to the marathon, he's like, geez, Rick, these long runs are getting awfully long. <laughs> like, what's going on here? So we're just going out <laughs> and running the casual like 30, 32K because that's what you need to run to do a marathon, right? You have to do those long 30K runs in order to do it. Meanwhile, you're only running like four times a week and only half getting like all your runs in that you're supposed to. But those long runs are the most important ones. <laughs> Got to get those in. <laughs> Anyways, I eventually convinced my brother to run the marathon with me. He was very reluctant to, even though he'd been doing all these long runs with me, he didn't know that he was training, quote unquote, for a marathon. And he was a little taken aback when I said, well, this race is in two weeks. You've done all the runs. You should probably come do it with me. So he did. He, he signed up and we ran our first marathon together. It was quite a nice experience. Same deal. I wanted to run under four hours, but I did. a. I think we finished in like 406 or something. And as you can probably attest yourselves, running that first marathon, that last 10 kilometers is a pretty big eye-awakening experience if you haven't experienced that before and you're not pacing it right and you don't really know anything about feeling, it's going to be a bit of an adventure getting to that finish line the first time. <laughs> oh yeah. my goodness. It sounds like you've made almost every mistake in the book, right? Because oh, now yeah. I'm do calculating and I'm yeah. like, and then he wanted to hold the same pace for the marathon mm -hmm. that he held for the half marathon, mm -hmm. which was faster than the, the pace for the 10K. So, yeah. you know, um, at what point, because I'm imagining that this story actually does end well, where you figure <laughs> out a way to love running. And so what yeah. was that moment for you where you went, oh, okay, this is how I train or this is my yeah. favorite distance or, you know, like when did you start to really love it? I think it was between that half marathon marathon mark like i like i said i was i was getting addicted to how much better i was getting even though i had no idea what i was doing which i think a lot of people in the beginning can see a lot of results without really knowing what they're doing as long as you're somewhat consistent with your training and you're lucky enough to not get injured you're going to get better just yeah. by the sheer fact of getting out and and being active but then you kind of hit a little bit of a plateau where that's not good enough anymore. And I started to think, well, I'm seeing, I want to get better. So I'm just going to go on the internet and I'm going to click the button for the advanced plan. And that's going to solve all of my problems. And I'm just going to pick a faster time to train for, and then I'm going to get better. So that didn't really work, but the engineering brain started to kind of figure out what was going on. Like I wasn't just kind of beating my head off against the wall all the time. I started to actually, you know, like everybody says now, do your own research. So I started 
watching all the YouTube videos, listening to the podcast, reading all the blogs and doing all of that stuff. And there's a lot of information out there and it becomes very difficult to actually understand like what you're supposed to do. Like these people think that I should go and do fasted running and that's going to make me better. Or I need to do all of these Yasso 800s. If I can go do that, then I'm going to be able to get this marathon done. Right. But the way like I function as an engineer is I like to distill everything down and make it the simplest, get to the root of what's actually going to make a difference. And it's actually like just figuring out the fundamentals of how to actually train and how your body works is not all that complicated. And once you understand that, and once I learned to slow down and actually, mm-hmm. like I started with heart rate training, that was sort of my gateway into this, but kind of progressed into more perceived level of effort with the trail running but learning how to slow down and how the body actually adapts to training and learning what running easy actually was instead of chasing this like mythical dream goal that i had no business going after that's actually when i started getting better like Mm -hmm. really getting better and getting better really fast and it's kind of like you slow way down but then you get way faster really quick (laughs) it's amazing crazy how that works it's such a trip eh? and it's it's probably as a coach the thing that I spend the most time trying to communicate and communicate in an effective way to really get buy-in from people because there is so much resistance so because you're a coach and we're gonna get into your coaching in a sec what do you think's behind that? What do you think the resistance is from runners to actually embrace the slow down most of your your runs to go faster? Oh, there's there is so much to unpack there. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think a lot of it probably is rooted in the way that we're brought up and a lot of other the sports that we participate in when we're younger. Like you're taught if if you're not out there killing yourself and working hard, then you're not making progress towards towards that goal. And it's that kind of, you got to toughen up, you got to mentally go out and got it out, or you're not working hard. Somebody else is going to go and take that medal from you. So that's kind of the way I was brought up training, and that's how, how we trained. Um, we did do some slower training and everything like that, but those training concepts were never really drilled in our brains or it's not worth your time or it's not worth the time to really understand what's going on and I think a lot of the gym mentality out there too is you're always trying to push harder you're trying to do more reps you're trying to work out work the next guy but that's just not how your body gets better with running because that's Mm -hmm. how you're going to injure yourself and you spend way too much time over exerting and you're not able to make the adaptations that the easy running allows you to do like the learning how to burn the fat growing more capillaries getting stronger bones ligaments and muscles and all of those things but the problem is is when we go and start trying to run slow and do what we're supposed to do this is now showing up for a lot of people on strava and Mm -hmm. people are feeling like they're getting judge like I can't post that run on Strava people are going to make fun of me like how am I going to show my face at run group to go do an easy run and Mm -hmm. now I need to run almost seven minute kilometers to call it easy like I can't do that I'm not even going to be able to keep up with the group like come on like what what do you want me to do here and and I think you've hit it on the head because it's really about belonging and if if now I'm saying I'm going to run seven minute pace but my friends all run six minute pace even though they're all working probably with 
way too hard as well. Mm -hmm. I'm not Mm -hmm. going to belong and I'm going to be ousted from the group. And this is sort of like at the end of the day, I think people, whether like probably not consciously, but subconsciously for sure, people are always going to choose belonging and (laughs) purpose and all that kind of stuff rather than doing what's right. Yeah. Now, I've come up with some strategies to to work with my athletes around that because I'm I'm not working with three-hour marathoners all the time, like people that should be out running an easy 5.15 minute per kilometer pace, which is what, 5.15 to 5.30, that's probably what you're going to find yourself running in a in an all-paces run group. Like, it's, it's crazy right. how fast right. everybody runs there. So we just call it what it is. Like, I love run groups and participating in the run community, I think, is very important. But we, we just call the kettle black or whatever it is that you want to say and say, it's not an easy run. Like if that's your 10 K PR like pace, then we're going to call it a threshold workout. And that's like, that's what we're going to work it in as we can find a way to have you enjoy your run group and have you keep up, but we're going to, we're going to call it what it is. Or if you're a bit faster, maybe we do a workout before or after, and it's still more of a hard day. Like you got to, kind of combine it and still call it what it is because if you call it an easy day and treat it as one that's going to allow your body to recover but you're running too hard then you're doing yourself a disservice. And that's the difference between downloading a plan and sticking to the spreadsheet schedule versus coaching, right? Like a coach can put that formula together and there's nothing wrong with swapping a day or shifting the whole plan forward by two days so that the easy day does land on a non-group run day or something, right? You should see the light bulb moments that I have with people when we talk about moving the days around during the week. They're like, what? Seriously? You can do that? It's like, yeah, it's pretty easy, actually. We're just, we're not going to stack your interval workouts together and we're not going to put an interval workout before your long run, but pretty much everything else is free game here. Like I'm going to put something down that's optimum, but doing something is a lot better than doing nothing at all. And we'll we'll figure it out. It's no big deal. Yeah. There's so many different ways to skin a cat, right? So there, like people think it like my speed day has to be Tuesday and my long run has to be Saturday or Sunday or whatever it is. And it's like, it could be anything and you don't have to stick to a seven day cycle. You could have a 10 day. It doesn't have to be a seven day cycle. What about shift workers or work on fives or fours Mm -hmm. or tens or. Yeah. I find working with nurses and shift workers can be quite challenging and having to deal with the coming off night shift and switching and all that so often but you you can plan for that like as long as you know what the what the schedule is and you know with what's happening like it, it's not going to fit into a downloaded plan off the internet mm-hmm. but you can you can come up with something that makes sense and that works for your body in that situation so you can still get better at running and i've actually i've had some good success working with shift workers mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. being flexible yeah awesome So we've been talking a lot about coaching principles and we mentioned that you're a coach. So tell us a little bit about your run company. You've called it the New Leaf Run Company. And I love that name. And as anybody who's started a business and named a company knows, the name is usually thought about for a long time and it's very intentional. So tell us how you came up with that name. Yeah, it took me a fairly long time to come up with a name that felt right for what I was doing. And there were a lot of, like, I'm sure if you were naming a business or something, you come up with a list and a lot of these names are, are quite terrible. 
Um, but this name came to me like a lot of good ideas come to me is on a run. Amen to that. But running for me, and it'll sound a little corny, but running for me in so many ways was like turning over a, a new leaf. It really was like as a way I found my competitive drive again. When I had lost that inner athlete and when I was just working and not being active, I was really missing a part of myself and running helped me get that back. It also helped me care about my overall well-being and want to live a healthy lifestyle. So again, it's helping me sort of become a better, more whole person. And it's kind of also a bit of a play on words because I like to have people have aha moments when I'm working with them. With running, we want to be thinking about things in a new and smarter way than they've been doing it in the past. And I want them to be able to turn over a new leaf and fall in love with running the way that I have. That just packages the name all together. And again, it really resonates with me and my journey and what I really stand about when it, with my coaching philosophy. Amazing. Love and it. let's go down this road a little bit too. What kind of runner are you helping with your run business? Are you uh, mostly working with road runners or have you branched out into, see what I did there? Branched out (laughs) (laughs) into helping uh, people run other distances as well. So I coach every type of runner from the learn to run 5k all the way up to 100 milers. In the beginning, I started primarily focused on on road runners, but as I've developed as a runner and sort of who's naturally drawn towards me, I'm more working with the trail and the ultra crowd right now. And just, we really seem to jive. I really get excited about helping people conquer these new massive distances or even, it's scary for some people to think about, but to even consider racing and trying to do more than finish a 50 miler or a hundred miler. Like it sounds crazy, but it is really exciting to help somebody even bring that competitive edge out and try and do better at some of these ultras. But again, I straddle both worlds. I love helping people run faster on the roads or even just learning how to become a runner and learning how to train like it for me it doesn't matter road or trail I love them both I don't discriminate I like everybody I like all runs I like all paces and everybody is fun to work with everybody has their own challenges and things life struggles and things that they need help with and it's really fun and rewarding to help each and every one to reach their goals very very cool well I was poking around on your website and I saw something on there that just sort of jumped out at me. So I'll I'll just quote you here. You said, over the years, the athletes who I see have the most fun during their training and progress the most in their running are the ones who come to the sport with a sense of curiosity. And I was wondering if you would be able to expand on that a little bit. What did you mean by that? So sometimes as athletes or as people in general if you've been doing something for a little while you can kind of get into this mindset of you've got it figured out and you stop losing that sense of wonder and that sense of exploration like I know when I first started running like you're watching all of the videos you're trying to absorb everything that's out there and everything is exciting because it's new but for some people they stop caring about trying to learn. They stop trying to have that that self-improvement. And if you're not coming to the table 
curious about what's going on in, in your body, why things are working the way they are, or why you're doing things differently in your training plan versus before when you're doing it on, on your own. You're not going to be as receptive. You're not going to be as bought into the plan. And it's not going to be as a beneficial of a relationship because it's like it's not a one-way street. Like it's a back and forth. And I listen to athletes' ideas, and we have to co-create the schedule and a plan that works for them. And if they're not curious about what that could be or what their potential could be, then I find I don't have as much buy-in with the with the training logs, and I don't have as much buy-in with the compliance to the workout and the running easy and all of the other things that we need to do to improve, I guess, even though they, they've signed up and they want to get better, if they're not curious about it, I guess it's just that buy-in is harder to get. Well, and they're probably not as in tune with their bodies to give you good feedback either. Yeah. I mean, when you're the most curious, you're like, oh, you know, this is what my heart rate is. This is how well I slept. This is, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> how I felt after that run and I'm going to log it and track yeah. it which is a big part of improvement too, is just feedback and reflection. And sometimes that question of like, how do I feel is the hardest one to answer for people because they can't hide behind, well, this is my pace and this was my heart rate and this is how far I went. It's like, no, but how did that feel? Like, did it truly feel like an easy run? <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. can, can again, sometimes be the scariest thing for, yeah. for athletes to be honest about, right? Yeah. The other thing, when when you're curious too, you're open to trying new things that you might have not have thought of on your own. And initially, you might be thinking, well, Rick, what's this got to do with, with running? But then I can help you connect the dots. Like with ultra running, there's so much with mental strength or even with marathoning or any distance, really, you need to develop that mental capacity. And some people might think that I'm insane for suggesting that we try and work some meditation into the programming to work and acknowledge the thoughts without freaking out when things are getting hard. And if you're not curious about it, you're just going to say, no, that's not for me. I'm not going to force you to do it. Or, hey, let's you're, you don't have your energy. Let's add some more veggies to the diet. Or maybe let's go and get some blood work done. Let's get curious about what's going on there so we can try and find out why. Instead of just being accepting of this is the way that it is, let's, let's figure it out. So on that note, you know, it sounds like you've been coaching for a while. What are some of the most common mistakes that you note that runners make, both new runners and experienced runners? I think to be honest, the the mistakes really aren't all that that different. If you're talking to somebody who is quote unquote new or someone who is experienced, I think we try and categorize somebody as being experienced sometimes just because they're faster than we are too. And that sort Mm -hmm. of gives them the perception that they know what's going on because they're running fast. But what I've really found over the years is that there's not a whole lot difference in the mistakes that are being made. But yeah, one of the, I beat my head up against the wall with this one and I'm always screaming it from the rooftops and we've touched on it a bit. And it's not all that sexy to talk about, but most runners are running way too fast all the time. 
and like we we've touched on that one and that is my biggest one that pretty much everybody that I work with needs to have a little dose of that they need to have a little ego beat down that says no you can't run that fast all the time and you got to trust me on that one totally and you must look <laughs> back and be like oh my gosh when I started running I ran 100% of my runs at 10k pace oh, <laughs> and you yeah. must just be like what was I doing yeah. and yet that is so common. Yeah. Like I see people running in that kind of like lactate threshold, like really pressing almost a hundred percent of the time, because that's yeah. what feels like they're, you know, back to your thing of like runners like to be like the hardest working and that we're super type A and we don't want to look lazy. And so we're going to give it our all every time. And, and intuitively, or maybe not, maybe intuitively is the wrong word, but on paper, you could see why they may draw those conclusions. Right. Yeah. But in practice, you, you're, you're saying like, no, you can slow way the heck down and still improve at yeah. whatever race distance. Well, you know, I almost, if I may, we're wired like that from childhood. Like I watch my boys run and, you know, we did the ice cream run and they're just like pedal to the metal all the time. And I almost think that we just don't grow up as runners. We try to still run like we did when we were six and seven and eight and nine. And, and as we mature, you know, and that's a natural evolution, like energy, different energy systems peak at different ages. And as we get into our twenties and thirties, we can't still run like we were nine. Like it's not the way it works. <laughs> I totally see that when I am out with my nephews in the woods and one of my younger nephews, he loves going in the woods with, with my dog Luna and he'll just go in little spurts with her and then he's all out of breath and then he'll <laughs> go for again. <laughs> and then just kind of the seesaw of getting himself out of breath and stopping again. And so we call that what it is, right? That's a sprint workout. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So we kind of digressed again. Yeah. So you're talking about the most common mistakes you yeah. see in runners. This is where I had a bit of a coaching epiphany aha moment too, because in the beginning I was like, okay, Everybody tells runners that they need to run at a conversational pace. And that's been the, sort of the accepted terminology that we use, right? And then you find out very quickly that the definition of conversational pace is not all that standard. And what a lot of people think that they can still carry on a conversation is really more like, ah, I'm carrying on a conversation <laughs> and we're still talking. This is so true. This so is conversational pace. <laughs> and then, uh, a really good story that I actually bring up and tell with with all of my athletes just because I, I was like this this just hits at home is my wife was out for a run downtown Halifax I forget what she was doing but one of her friends called her and she was on the phone and they're just having a conversation for about a half hour or so and then like a fire truck went by she's like oh what are you doing I just heard a fire truck and Amanda's like well I, I'm out for a run and she's like, what do you mean you're out for a run? You don't sound like you're out for a run. It's like, <laughs> that is conversational pace, people. <laughs> Boom. Boom. So I, I call it the phone call test. And a lot of people's like, really? That's what you mean? It's like, yes, that is what I you mean. Know what? <laughs> I usually call my brother or my mom when I'm commuting on my way home from work. I'm going to start calling them during my runs that yes. are supposed to be easy. And it's going to keep me honest. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, that totally is that. that is awesome. That is such a great because everybody mm-hmm. can understand that, right? Like, okay, yeah. I'm going to call someone and they have to not know that I'm running. And so would you say some people actually to be in that right effort zone to call it truly easy would need to incorporate a little bit of walking? In the beginning, like if your cardiovascular system is really underdeveloped, then it's going to be really hard to to run and actually and actually do that. Um, so kind of mixing that with a bit of heart rate training and some other like perceived level of effort can kind of help there too until the, the cardiovascular system develops. You got to have a little bit of give and take there. In, in the beginning, it can't be a hard line. Otherwise, I think progress is going to be pretty slow. It's kind of like a lot of this stuff when you're talking coaching and helping runners, some of it is nuanced and it really kind of depends on that specific situation and the person that that you're dealing with and maybe with that person that you're dealing with the walking is going to help them i'm normally personally not one that likes to incorporate a lot of walking in the beginning what i found in the early days when i was working with people in in person which i don't really do so much anymore is that when they showed up on my doorstep everyone that i started working with brand new runner or not if they ran slow enough they could run two kilometers Mm -hmm. and they could do it and it was comfortable. We would chat and it would be fine. So I just think people need to actually slow down enough, not be upset if there's somebody that might be catching them walking like that can be a thing and that's okay. But you're going to be working your cardiovascular system a little harder than if you're walking, if you're trying to, to run. And then mm-hmm. if you stick with it, it will get easier and you will see the results over the next month, two months, and you'll be able to move a little bit faster. It just takes consistency and persistence. But again, that's not a one size fits all solution, but that's generally where I like to start is try and get over the hump of being intimidated with the run walk. I find there's a lot of deprogramming I need to do with people that have come out of a run walk program. That's kind of been the bane of my coaching existence, working with some people. They just have that drilled in their head that I must take a walk break every so often. It's like, but why? You know, I was just going to play devil's advocate with you and yeah, balance those two sides. So I have coached many runners in Mm -hmm. one rock programs, especially coming back from injury, Mm -hmm. because that, that walk break almost gives you a chance to check in. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. It becomes almost like, what do you mean? I'm I'm 10 and ones. It's time to walk. Like you you do have to deprogram. To throw out another devil's advocate comment though, as a person who did running biomechanics analysis for a long time, people of a certain height, their their mechanics just does not work. It totally falls apart when they go too slow. Mm-hmm. You know, they're actually better off to be walking. So like you said, it's nuanced. I think it depends on if you live in a super hilly area, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, running up that hill is like where I do. Sometimes a power hike, my my heart rate's just as good as if I was running. So yeah, I think it's interesting to have these conversations. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. It's nuanced. And, and what I hear people saying a lot is like, I can't even run that slow. Like it's just impossible for me to run that slow. And what I find really funny and instructive about that is, you know, Molly Seidel, she's a U.S. professional runner who just placed third in the Olympics. So she's like a very fast woman and she can run a, whatever to 20 something marathon and Mm -hmm. she also holds the world record for running the slowest mile and it's like 
38 minutes or like it's really slow. And so I kind of think like it is possible to run slower than we think. But to your point, yes, a lot of times people's mechanics do break down and we have to be always balancing that. So it's it's a frustratingly, it depends, kind of like grayish, <laughs> um, nuanced answer here. Absolutely. To disagree with even myself now, to play devil's advocate with myself, that's the way I do cadence work with people. They think they have to run a certain speed to have a certain cadence. And I'm like, what do you mean? You can run in place and have that cadence. You don't have to go anywhere exactly, to have that cadence. Exactly. <laughs> oh, so if that- it's very that is a rabbit hole on its own to go down on right there. The cadence discussion and running slow. Yeah, that we can go down that one for, for a while. <laughs> well, I, I happen to know that you also have a, a little bit of a beef with thinking that the long run is the most important run of the week. Could you talk about that? Yeah. So I think you both as coaches can kind of appreciate this, that the, the long run is just one piece of the plan. And I guess if you were going to pick favorites, the favorite part of the plan is going to be the the consistency in the easy running, really. That's, that's going to be the favorite bit of the plan because that's what you have to build everything else up upon. And you can't execute the long run correctly and be getting everything that you can out of it unless your body is built up to be able to sustain that, that mileage. And if you're skipping two of your easy runs every week and you just keep ramping up your long run, I bet you're going to be having a visit to that physiotherapist (laughs) office and wondering why you've had the piriformis or IT band syndromes creeping up. It's because your bones, ligaments, muscles are not developing enough to do it. And now that again, it is it is nuanced. If you're working with a busy professional who's ramped up multiple times to run marathons or ultras, you can work around it and you can run less times a week. You can stack higher mileage. You can do more intensity. There's other things you can do. But if you're working with somebody who's building up for the first couple of times, I'm sorry, we need the consistency. Your body needs to adapt to it over time. You can't, no matter how many times you see it in a Runner's World magazine or whatever, run three times a week to get to this marathon, I'm not going to recommend it. You know, the bane of my existence is these ultra running chats where people go, can I run a 50 miler on three days a week? Well, and then there's like 200 comments. I'm like, well, you can, but that doesn't mean you should. (laughs) You're not going to have the best experience if you do this. It's and we can get more more into it later, but as somebody who was kind of testing that philosophy in my latest uh, 100 attempt, mm. it's just because of my life situation and me just wanting to have the experience, the running three or four times a week and ramping up your training to do a 100, it, even though you kind of do what you can do. And yeah, it doesn't necessarily give you the, the best outcome. Well, you've given us a perfect segue there. Let's just talk about this. So we know you recently did. A race, or you towed the start line at the Bromont 100. Now, where is the Bromont 100? So, the Bromont, it takes place, well, it takes place in Bromont, Quebec. So, it's a couple hours outside of of Montreal, sort of in Ski Hill country. It's quite nice there. For, For around here, East Coast, like Nova Scotia to for us to actually get like mountain running, we're we're driving to Maine or we're driving to Quebec to to be experienced running in actual mountains. 2016 is when I went the first time. 
Um, so it was a few years in between. I went back this year because I just happened to see it on the calendar when we decided we were taking a bit of a hiatus from our house renovations. We bought a new house and things have been really, really hectic. Um, adulting takes over and you have responsibilities and you just have to deal with things. And we've had some family issues over the past couple of years as well. My mother-in-law passed away and that was really tough mm -hmm. on our family. So my running and training personally has not been that great over the last two years and not even pandemic related. It's just other things aside. Like I have a pretty strong why for running and I was kind of digging myself into a very big hole just sort of stress-wise, trying to keep up with it all, with all of these other things going on. I couldn't really manage it, so I just made a decision that I needed to step back for a little while. But I saw Bromont come up on the calendar. We had decided we were going to slow down on the house renos for the summer, get back to kind of enjoying life because we felt like we hadn't been doing that for a while. And we kind of just, we needed to, to do that and start getting back to the things that were making us happy. So I was like, what do you think about going to Quebec? She's like, I haven't seen you excited about anything like this in a very long time. Yes, we're going to go. It's like, you fully understand that I am not going to be even the person that lined up for this race in 2016. She's like, no, you shouldn't have to be. You don't have to be to go and experience it, to go be a part of the community, to get excited, to have a day in the mountains. Like, you can go do that. It's like, yes, I can. So I started training. I'd been running over the winter. I'm not like I'm not running. I'm just not training 16 plus hours a week like I would want to be doing. But I'm getting out three and four times a week, doing a lot of trail work around here with another local. Um, his name's Wilco. I'm very fortunate, like pretty small town, but I have another endurance junkie that lives not that far away. And we've been sort of doing some trail maintenance like there's a lot of abandoned trails that just don't get used around here anymore so we're just clearing lots of deadfall and sort of making sure we know the routes and we're just nice. starting to show other people around the trails but that's a lot of work to get out and do that for five or six hours and you make some progress so i've been getting out having some long days but now shifting more into to running and i was really excited to get out and and do this race Again, life isn't perfect and just the way things were. I was getting out on average probably four times a week. I was making sure, again, the long run's not the most important run, but I'm signed up for a 100 miler. I'm going to make sure that I'm doing something long in the woods at least one day a week. Well, the reality is you do have to do the miles. Yeah, you do have to do the miles. Yeah. And you can't escape conditioning your body to be able to do the miles and digest yeah. the food and all of the things that mm -hmm. you need to do. And yes, you need to do that on weekly volume, but you also need to do that on doing a long effort. And I'm normally a big proponent of doing at least one long effort and another medium long effort along with that on the weekend, but that just wasn't in the cards for me. So again, just dealing with the cards that I got and training wasn't going bad. Like I, again, like a lot of people in this situation that haven't been training for a while, they're kind of ashamed at where your fitness is and where you used to be and you have those feelings come back. But it's, no, I'm just not going to push that aside. I'm out here. I'm having fun in the woods. I'm running with my dog most of the time, which is awesome. Hmm. I wasn't doing my normal, like I'm a big proponent that everybody should be doing speed workouts and intervals and things. I might have done two threshold workouts over this training block. They were fun when I did them, but I just didn't really have the headspace to deal with them. 
but I got out, I did my, an awesome loop around the Cape Chignecto park, which is locally. So it was about a 50 K effort, 10 and a half hours. Like that was a good, good day. And I found another local, we'll call it a mountain, but it's a, it's a hill here in Nova Scotia. It's about 130 meter climb that I could go to as about a half hour away. So I didn't have to drive that far to get there on the weekends and do some climbing. And like, you could rack up some good vert there. Like in 20K, you could have like over 2000 meters of climbing. You're just climbing the same hill over and over again. So that's kind of my training saga in a nutshell. Again, feeling wholly underprepared physically, but uh, just a quick dovetail, 2019, the last 100 that I ran and completed, I didn't run for four months leading up to that because I was injured. And I went on into that and zero training. I finally got my my quad working again like two weeks before where my knee wouldn't seize up. And I was talking to my coach at the time, uh, Corinne Malcolm. She's like, you've got the experience. Just don't go out too fast and you can do it. It's like, if you believe in me, I'm lining up. Let's do this thing. And I finished it on like no training. <laughs> so I was like, I'm in better shape than I was for that. So what's, what's the worst that could happen? So how how far did you get? I made it 70 kilometers, not even halfway, but it was a story and a half to get there. Like it was, it was really not my day right from the beginning, mm-hmm. but it was, it was a ton of fun to go and spend that much time in the mountains. There was a crew of about six of us just from like the East coast provinces. Like it's a pretty tight knit community here in like Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, New Brunswick, PEI, like everybody's always coming together for the same races. You get to know everybody pretty well. Um, so there's about six of us that went down. It was really fun. But within the first 20K, my shin had gone. Like I was having mm-hmm. shooting shin pain. It was cramping. I couldn't run downhill anymore. And in the beginning, like I could kind of run it out on the flats and it would let me sort of get it back. Um, by 35K, the medic saw me wincing. He came over and did some active release. Um, that didn't really help. Um, before the the marathon hit, I was seeing stars, oh like my. climbing hills. I was getting really dizzy and very nauseous. At the 55K mark, I took my first trail nap, dirt nap, to try and sort things out. Oh, wow. That's early in a 100-miler. Yeah, that is very early in, in the 100-miler. Like I was getting really, really dizzy, and it was quite concerning. And I hadn't been able to drink even water for a very long time. I called my wife at that point and she's just like, take your time. You know how to fix this. Just sit down and you you can sort it out. So it took like 20 minutes. I got back up. My legs cramped as soon as I stood up again. And I just like fell right back over again. And people are like, are you okay? It's like, give me a couple minutes. But long story short, yeah, I made it to about the, the 70K mark. I saw my wife at about 62K on the road. And I was texting her to tell her that I was dropping. And she told me that I couldn't hop in the car right now. She wasn't going to be at the next aid station until I got there and decided when I was there that I was dropping. So he's like, I'm not making it easy for you. I was 14 hours at that point, and I wasn't going to make the cutoff for 80K to keep going. So Mm -hmm. I just kind of said it's not really safe to continue, not really worth it to continue. I'm curious. Let's compare and contrast this 100 miler that you did on no training and finished it. And I don't know how you felt during it, but you finished it. And now this one where you did training, admittedly not optimal training, and your body just did something 
rather unexpected and you didn't, you didn't, weren't able to complete. So I'm sure you've done a bit of self-analysis. Why? What do you think went, happened there? So one, going into the ultra in 2019, I had many years of consistent training leading up to that with not a really big gap. So I had all of that consistency, no real breaks, multiple ultras all leading up to that versus this go around where I have pretty much two years of not very consistent training. So there's no way of making up for that in like three or four months, right? That's just not going to happen. And then with my suboptimal training and going out and doing big workouts on the weekend without really properly ramping myself up to, to do that. And also because I've been out in the country here and I haven't been going into the city to do office work is I haven't been going to see my my physio as regularly as I would be, which I would normally do every four to five weeks or maybe even every three weeks if I'm doing a big training block and whether I need to or not just for, for maintenance. And I admittedly wasn't doing that. Interesting. So um, I think the biggest thing though was one you you can't make up for two years of not very much training in in four months, even though I have a whole lot more of experience going into this. It just wasn't the same situation. The other thing too is I think that these bigger efforts on the weekend without the the base mileage to do that, I think I had an underlying shin problem. Again, not getting in to see the the physio beforehand. I just had like a time bomb that hadn't gone off yet. And that's why it went so early into the race. I felt way stronger, like cardiovascular wise, I felt stronger climbing the hills than I did going into capes because I had done the specific hill training and my legs were used to going up and down the hills, but I hadn't done all of the work to go along with it. So that's just, Mm -hmm. that's my take on what happened. I don't have any regrets for going to do what I did. Like maybe, yeah, in reality, it should have been a 50 miler instead of a hundred miler. Maybe if the stars were aligned differently, I could have pulled it off, but I had a ball and Mm -hmm. I got to spend a day in the mountains with like-minded people. I got the fire relit Mm -hmm. to go out and train again. And that's really what I wanted out of the experience. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And like, I think you're, you're kind of speaking to the, like how life impacts training. Like we, training is not in a silo. And this is what I'm always telling people. It's like, whatever else is going on in your life, like you're, it's impacting your running and it's impacting your training and, and your capacity to do work and to recover from that work and all of that. So on that note, um, and again, personally, I always learn the most about myself <laughs> through my quote, failures or shortcomings than I do when everything goes perfectly according to plan. So how do you think this experience has made you a better coach? Oh, I think a lot of this over the past couple of years, not that I haven't had empathy in the past, but I think this just reinforces that that more empathy to, to meet people where they're at. Mm-hmm. And one, I'm never going to tell somebody that they can't do something ever. Yeah. I'm always going to be there to support. We'll have a conversation about it, weigh the pros and cons and the risks of something because that's where I was, where was it a good idea? 
Probably not, but I was motivated to do it and I had good reasons behind it. So why not? Right. Yeah. As long as you understand what the possible ramifications of it could be. And I think in the past, maybe I was a little bit more strong worded when I didn't necessarily agree with an athlete's Mm -hmm. decision to do something like that, that maybe wasn't the best. As I've progressed as a coach over the last seven years or however long I've been working with athletes like this, in the beginning, I was really strong. It's like, if you're working with me, we are not doing this. To now, it's much more of a fluid, I will hear the other side of the story and help have the conversation around it and actually weigh the pros and cons and just make sure that we as a team understand what we're getting into. And as long as we're both on the same page about what that looks like, then why not? I love that. I think you you summed it up perfectly. Like how could you develop empathy better than having an experience that other people can relate to, right? Like who hasn't bombed a race before? Like we all yeah. have. Yeah. And so so for your client to hear like even I the coach have bombed a race before and this is, you know, what I learned from it and this is how I changed things and I was still able to find a million things that I was grateful for about that experience. I think you're leading by example there as well. So way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And like you've spoken before previously, calling it for what it is. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You knew knew the training wasn't ideal. You knew it's been two years, but you know what? You still got out there anyways, Mm -hmm. and you still had a great time and you called it before it got deathly dangerous for your body. And, um, you showed up and that's more than a lot of people do. So that's great. Yeah. And I think it's actually, it's a message I really think is important to get out here right now, especially with what we've dealt with over the last year and a half. And a lot of people, like I've been working with a lot of people that have stayed training and done self-adventures, but that's not normal. Like most of the people kind of the running took a bit of a backseat and now we have the races coming back and somebody's thinking, well, should I do that 50 miler? Yeah. And yeah. like if you're passionate about it and you you have some head on your shoulders and you know what you're getting into, then you could at least have a conversation about it. Yeah. Absolutely. So wow, we've we've taken a, a few turns in this conversation and it's been really interesting talking with another coach and and another podcaster. We didn't even get much into the fact that you have your own podcast, but we'll we'll get to that maybe after our rapid fire questions. We like to end every episode with five quick questions and I gave them to you in advance. Are you ready? I'm ready, yeah. All right. Do you have a favorite uh, mantra? I do, and it comes from I guess Probably my number one podcast idol, but it really hits home for me is Rich Roll's saying of mood follows action. And it's something that I come back to a lot. Totally. I love that one too. Yeah. But before we started recording, I was like, oh my goodness, he's a coach and he's plant-based and he's an ultra runner. He's like the Canadian Rich Roll. That's, that's quite flattering. That's quite flattering. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's just funny that you brought up him in, in this answer. That's hilarious. All right. The second question we have is what is your favorite place to run? So locally, um, it's a bit of driving, but I love running in the Mabu Highlands here in Nova Scotia. It's so beautiful. Um, if I'm going to like travel and not have to drive too far, but like a 10-hour drive, like the Baxter State Park in Maine is absolutely stunning. It's so wild and the mountains are raw. It's just unbelievable. 
Do you ha- still have a race on your bucket list? There's a few. There's probably uh, the standard ones that everybody has on their bucket list, uh, like the Western States or UTMB. But the one that is really on my bucket list uh, is the Zion 100. Mm. So I had a trip to the desert right before the pandemic hit. I got a little taste of what that was. And I was like, I need to do this. I need to spend 30 hours running in the desert and I need to see Zion. (laughs) That was my first hundred. And I had a lot of whys, but that was even more of a motivation because I just had to see every single part of that course, no matter how rotten I felt. <laughs> it's it, yes, definitely do that one. It's amazing. Love it. Love to hear that. Okay. Are you much of a reader? Do you have a favorite running book or maybe movie? Uh, for book, the book Endure by Alex Hutchinson, that one really hit home. Like I really love where he went with a lot of the research and tying it with all the stories and narratives that he had along with that. So that was mm-hmm. my recent favorite running book for movies. I'm a big Billy Yang fan. Yes. And I think Western Time with Sally McRae yeah. has probably got to be up there as one of my favorite movies. I've been following Sally since I ever heard about the uh, ultra running listen to your podcast with Sally too by the way it was awesome oh we love that episode <laughs> <laughs> most of Billy Yang stuff but uh, mm-hmm. yeah West, western time I whenever I'm getting ready for a hundred I'll always put that on just to see what she went through for for that yeah. so it's awesome excellent and final question do you have a favorite post-run indulgence post-run I don't normally indulge too much but post big effort or post big race mcdonald's hash browns <laughs> get that get that salt and fat in there uh-huh. right yeah i have to <laughs> earn- another twist on the yeah, yeah i have to salt. earn it though yeah, yeah, earn yeah. It. this isn't an every run kind of thing this is a special run like post 100 we're going for like 14 mcdonald's hash browns <laughs> oh wow that's and you're probably still in a caloric deficit after yeah. that totally well, for those of people that actually want to hear you more and, and hear you talk more, um, why don't you tell us where we can find you? I know you have a podcast and tell everybody where they can check out your podcast and potentially your social media. For sure. So if you want to check out the the podcast, it's the New Leaf Running Podcast. You can find that on, on all the, the major platforms. The main place to, to find out anything that's going on uh, with me or any information about the coaching would be newleafrunco.com on social New Leaf Running Company. You're well branded. <laughs> yes. You managed to get that handle on things. Yes. <laughs> we'll link all of that up in the show notes so it's easy to find. Well, as expected, this was fascinating. Uh, We meandered all over the place. It was uh, fantastic to learn more about you. We'll have to have you back to explore some of those other things we didn't get a chance to touch upon. But from the coaching side of things, it certainly sounds like you are a very knowledgeable and empathetic and curious and very well-rounded coach. And it was an absolute pleasure to talk with you this evening. I appreciate the kind words and uh, thank you so much for for having me on. I love talking with you guys. I'd be happy to come back and talk with you. I I feel like we barely hit the tip of the iceberg on on a lot of things that we could have talked about. So I'd be very interested in continuing the, the conversation at some point down the road for sure. 